Hey, Spoop Hour listeners. You may notice that today's episode is a little wonky and kind of vignette style. We had an oops, all Crunchberry scenario, but instead of Crunchberries, it was technology issues. So we did our best to edit around them in true 2020 fashion. We're making it work. But if you notice that some of the banter maybe doesn't exactly line up with some of the facts we're spitting, it's because they were maybe recorded at different times. Look, we did our best. Thank you for your patience. Next week, we are hoping to have no technology issues. In the meantime, stay safe, wash your hands. We love you, and thank you so much for understanding. Hey, Sasha. Hey, Courtney. What kind of bees produce milk? I don't know. Boobies. <laughs> it's Spoop Bower. So titillating. This is Courtney. We're very titty-lating today. Uh, anyway, what are we talking about today, Sasha? I almost called you Spoopa. I don't know why. Spoopa. Bugs. Yay. <laughs> Boogs. But like, in like a fun way. Not in like a look at these scary pictures of spiders way. Not like the post I read once about spiders where it was like, spiders are basically dogs, but with instead of eight legs, they essentially have eight penises that shoot out sticky liquid. Doesn't that make you feel better? And I'm like, no, it really doesn't. Who would that make feel better? Tumblr post. Because it's sure as hell not me. There's a lot of bug lore, which like I kind of knew when I put this on the schedule, but I put it down because... Months ago, back when I, you know, went to an office, I have my Jeopardy page day calendar and there was a question about like ladybugs and my coworker that I co-parent the skeleton with didn't know the answer. And she was like, I didn't know ladybugs were considered lucky. And I'm like, you didn't? I thought everybody knew that. And then I was like, and then I was like, let's go into this on Spoop Hour. And so I put it on the schedule to talk about eventually. And now here we are. Is there lore you want us to cover, even if it's like super in-depth, and we can just dabble in it for an hour and then come back to it at a later time? Email spoopbower at gmail.com. So I'm going to start off with spiders. The spider is an ancient and powerful symbol found around the globe and has always elicited a wide range of emotions in people. These emotions include fear, disgust, and panic, which is usually Courtney when approached by a spider, but also sometimes me, including a time that last week that I was on a walk in a park and there was a spider on a trash can the size of my palm. And it was very unpleasant. I told Courtney about it and she did not like that story at all. Yay! But then also spiders can elicit curiosity and appreciation as well. 
spiders are really interesting. There's so many different varieties of them. And also they do help by eating bugs that are annoying around the house, like ants and gnats and mosquitoes. So, you know, there's some appreciation that I have for the spider, except that some of them are just too big. Yep. (laughs) A part that got cut out when my microphone didn't pick it up anymore um, was uh, a deep discussion about spider crabs. Um, Look them up. They're from Japan. And those crabs are too big. They have very long legs, and it is just a little... I don't want to get close to one, just like horses and whales. Spiders are certainly an enigmatic symbol, but the spider has different meanings and purposes according to different cultures. Arachnids and their webs embody many traits and interpretations, including patience, persistence, connection, resourcefulness, creation and destruction, cunning, deception, intrigue, the feminine, wisdom, fortune, and death. This broad spectrum of Mm -hmm. impressions of different people and as well as interpretations has influenced origin myths, legends, art, literature, music, architecture, and technology throughout history. I mean, for example, our internet is called the World Wide Web. It's a giant web that's spun to connect us all together. That makes me hate the internet even more. One particularly scary piece of folklore from Japan is the spider princess, a mythological spider figure called Jorogumo who is able to transform into a seductive woman and entraps traveling samurai. Real quick, when you said Kumo is also spider, not just cloud, I was thinking about, you know those TikToks where it's the person who's doing, like, God having a conversation with an angel, and God's like, make the dinosaurs meteor. Like, I want to see some thick dinosaurs. And the angel's like, yep, got it, send them a meteor. And God's like, what? It's that, but it's like, make me a princess that's a cloud in Japanese. And the angel's like, yep, got it, Kumo princess. And then he's like, wait, what? <laughs> she is also known as the binding bride or prostitute spider. Hmm. Jirogumo will morph into a beautiful woman to beguile warriors into marrying her. And sometimes the spider princess will appear to carry a baby, which turns out to be her egg sac. <gasps> Spooky. And after she's got her man in her grasp, she feasts. Honestly, I like it in theory. Like, you know, I'm all about trapping some men using feminine wiles. That's like my modus operandi. And that's why I've been in a successful relationship for almost six years. But, you know, I maybe don't love the egg sac part of it or the spider part. (laughs) And that's all I'll say about scary spider lore for now. (laughs) I don't want to scare Courtney. Yay! In ancient Greek legend, the world's first spider was born from the pride of a woman. Of course it fucking was. The moral Arachne was gifted in the art of weaving fine cloth and tapestries and studied under the goddess Athena, herself a master at weaving and pottery. Arachne's work was so beautiful and her talent so great that word of her weaving spread far and wide. Eventually, pride and arrogance led Arachne to boast that her work was even better than Athena's. In a contest to determine who was the better artist, the mortal or the goddess, Arachne wove a tapestry depicting the gods in a bad light, detailing their debauchery and foolishness. The goddess Athena was furious and, in a rage, destroyed Arachne's work. Arachne, horrified and ashamed to realize where her hubris had taken her, hanged herself. Athena, feeling that the mortal had learned the error of challenging the gods, turned the hanging rope into a web, and Arachne into a spider, so she might weave beautiful creations for all time. This is the origin of the word arachnid, a term we use for spiders to this day. I will point out, when I first told this story to Courtney, she was very upset. 
hold up. How many Greek myths have we heard where some dude is like, I can do this better than the gods. And everybody's like, go off, king. Yeah, you can. But like when a woman's like, actually, I'm pretty good at weaving. Do you guys want to see me weave some more? Then that's unacceptable. And it's like, oh, you have to be punished because how dare you be good at something? What the fuck, Greek lore? (laughs) I'm so mad for like, if like, okay, so if she had made up some shit that the gods did, but we all know what the gods were up to. Everybody was fucking Zeus. They weren't great. The Greek gods were, like, totally debaucherous, and they were totally foolish, and, like, not Athena, but Arachne is just, like, calling them out on their shit, and she gets in trouble and becomes a spider. Yeah, but, like, oh, we have to punish Arachne because she noticed all of the bad shit we're doing? Excuse me. (laughs) I'm so mad on her behalf. (laughs) because <laughs> I'm like, go off, queen, but now you're a thing that legitimately frightens me. <laughs> God damn it. In many cultures across the world, spiders stand as the creators of our universe and world and serve as agents of destruction as well. For example, in ancient India, it is written that a large spider wove the web that is our universe. She sits at the center of the web, controlling things via the strings. In legend, it is said she will one day devour the web slash universe and spin another in its place. Honestly, respect. Who has looked at 2020 and hasn't hoped a giant spider will eat us all? Yeah, a giant spider could devour us and like hit reset on this whole thing. Like, that would be fine. The Beel and Mott people of India believe that the spirits of their ancestors live on the bodies of spiders, particularly those that share their houses. So the next time you see a little spider in your house, think of that as like one of your you know, ancestors kind of checking in on you, making sure the house is okay. They just want to come hang out because they're like, hey, I miss you. How's it going? Egyptian mythology tells of the goddess Neith, a spinner and a weaver of destiny, and is associated with the spider. She is often depicted with a weaving shuttle in her hand or a bow and arrows demonstrating her hunting abilities as well. So very perfect emblem for the spider. Courtney's favorite spider is a trickster god in West African stories, who is the creation deity Anansi. Yay! Associated with storytelling and wisdom, the spider causes mischief to get the upper hand in dealings with others. The retelling of these spider tales imparts moral, less- moral lessons through the generations. And Courtney has a Anansi tale that she likes from when she was very little. When I was growing up, I had a book. I don't even remember what... I think it was called, like, Anansi and the Moss-Covered Rock. But it's basically like Anansi finds this moss-covered rock that whenever anybody looks at it, they pass out for a little bit, and then he steals their shit. (laughs) And so then they, like, come to, and Anansi's like, it's my house now, bitch! And then there's, like, this little bush deer who's really shy and, like, hides in the bushes and just, like, sees what Anansi is doing. And so eventually the little bush deer tricks Anansi into looking at the moss-covered rock. And then Anansi wakes up and everybody's like, took my shit back, bitch! And it's amazing. Like, it was this great book that... I'm sure it was, it must have been, I'm sure my mom can let us know. I'm, I'm sure it was like a reading rainbow book or something. And the lesson is don't dish it out if you don't mm-hmm. want to get dished back. <laughs> the nice thing about the Anansi books is, you know, there's a lot of folklore geared towards children that is maybe teaching them not great lessons. But like the Anansi books, or at least this one, was like, look, if you're going to live by the trickster, you're going to die by the trickster. Like... You know, you can only be the cleverest person in the room for so long, and then somebody who's more clever than you is going to come along and steal their shit back. So, wisen up, kids. So, and now I turned out great because of that book. <laughs> Rock art and bark paintings in Australia reveal that the indigenous cultures created spider symbols. 
Spiders in their webs are linked with a sacred rock and ceremony for the Rimbarnga people in central Arnhem Land. Several regional clans also use spider totems in rituals. North American indigenous cultures have often portrayed spiders as creators, helpers, and wisdom keepers. In the Hopi creation myth, Spider Woman is the goddess of the earth. She, together with other gods, form the first man and woman out of clay. The Lakota people's lore includes a trickster spider, much like in West Africa, and the Navajo connect the spider grandmother and the weaving of webs with the creation of the world. The Chibchas of South America tell us that the souls of the dead need webs of raft spiders so that they can cross the river that separates the living from the world of the dead that's at the center of the earth. And then, you know, sometimes, though they are kind of creepy and sometimes a little fearsome, they really aren't necessarily always going to be a dangerous creature or a destructive emblem. They can also be good omens and helpful saviors. Ancient Chinese folk culture celebrates spiders. They are thought to bring happiness in the morning and wealth in the evening. Spiders are lucky creatures and dubbed happy bugs. The image of the spider features widely in art and literature in China, and spider jewelry or charms are worn to bring good luck. In the Torah, there's a story of David who would later become the king of Israel, being pursued by soldiers sent by King Saul. David hid in a cave, and a spider crawled in and built a huge web across the entrance. When the soldiers saw the cave, they didn't bother to search it. After all, no one could be hiding inside it if the spider web was undisturbed. A parallel story appears in the life of the prophet Muhammad, who hid in a cave while fleeing his enemies. A giant tree sprouted in front of the cave, and a spider built a web between the cave and the tree with similar results. In Germany and Ukraine, and Hungary as well, I believe, it's tradition to include spiders and webs in Christmas tree decorations due to the association between tinsel decorations and the spider web strands. You could listen to our last holiday episode where I believe we did talk about this further. See, here's the thing. I hear all of that, and I'm like, spiders are incredible. Wow, amazing. I know they eat the bugs that annoy me. Like, let's go. I love spiders. But then, like, I see one, and viscerally, I'm like, Ugh! So, <laughs> it's, it's like, in theory, they're amazing, and they're absolutely the kind of thing I could get behind. In reality, in front of me, I'm like, no, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Please go away. I'm sorry, Mr. Spider. <laughs> Because I'm a big baby. Speaking of big babies, do you want to talk about bees? All right. So this all comes from Mental Floss Wikipedia. Planet B. Isn't that incredible? There's a website called Planet B. I love it. Learn religions, owlcation.com, olduropeanculture.blogspot.com, timesonline.com, celticbug.com, aboutladybirds.wordpress.com, and medium.com. So let's talk about bees. Bees are great. They're amazing pollinators. We all love bees. You know, you can be scared of them. I get it. I'm scared of spiders. But like, bees are objectively good. But they're also wonderful examples of natural things working collaboratively for a greater good. Because they're a collectivist society and because they are prevalent around the world, they're also superstitious AF. Let's dive in. So bees have close ties with magic and lore from around the world. So first, let's kick it over to ancient Greece. We're going to temporarily not be mad about how they did Arachne wrong, although we're still mad about it. We're just going to look at how they treated bees, because how they treated bees is actually pretty legit. So bees are in both folklore practices and in, like, gods and mythology. So when Kronos stated his intention of destroying his son Zeus, I mean... Technically, Kronos stated his intention to kill all of his kids. It's just the Zeus one was the big one. Zeus's mother was like, 
oh no, not Zeus. So she smuggled him into a secret cave just to like keep him away from Kronos so Kronos wouldn't eat him. There, he was watched over by sacred bees who fed the infant honey until he was one day strong enough to overthrow Kronos. So bees did us a big service. And I mean, yeah, Zeus grew up to be a horrible monster, but like that's not the bees' fault. They did the best they could. They assumed he'd be a collectivist like them, but instead he was kind of an asshole. Just a Chad bro douche. But as thanks for their service raising him, Zeus rewarded the bees by making them bright gold, because, you know, obviously gold's a great color, so he's like, thanks bees, pew pew, solid gold bees. And he made them strong enough to survive the cold and harsh winds, because they had, you know, protected him, he protects them. In some stories, Zeus is referred to as Meliseos, which means bee man. Isn't that cute? I wish somebody would call me, like, bee, Courtney. That's really cute. <laughs> Dionysus was also raised in a cave and fed honey, so in the early days of his godly mythology, he was more closely associated with mead, the fermented honey drink, rather than wine like he is now. Like, we all think of Dionysus now, and he's like Mr. Wine Rager. But back in the day, it was weed. It was weed. It was mead because of how close he was with bees. I mean, maybe there was weed, too. I'm not going to tell him how to party. Followers of Dionysus... Could, would make ivy-wrapped wands that could emit honey if they so wished it. So if you need a bitch in Halloween costume, just go as a follower of Dionysus, get some mead, because mead's delicious, get a wand, wrap it with ivy, and then you can just, like, shoot honey at people. And Dionysus is also credited with the creation of beekeeping as a practice. Because, you know, he's got to keep himself in mead, so he needs that honey. Greek gods in general had a close relationship with bees because the food of the god, which as we all know is ambrosia and nectar, was generally considered to be basically honey and mead. If you're going to eat honey, it's the food of the gods, man. Bees were also sometimes called the birds of the muses, which is very funny to me because that's like a roundabout, the birds and the bees, but they're the birds of the muses because muses would send bees down to earth to hashtag bless people with their bee powers. So... If a bee touched a baby's lips, that baby is going to grow up to be a great poet or speaker. If a bee put honey near anyone's mouths, that person would gain a sweet voice. And some famous examples of people who were blessed with bee mouth include Homer, Sappho, and Plato, who are all, you know, great philosophers, great poets, like big wigs. And there's like a bunch more. These were just like the big three that you're going to recognize their names. Also, if a bee landed on your head it means you're just going to generally be successful in life. So that's really nice. Because of where bees built hives, bees were closely associated with the Greek underworld and general concept of death, but like not in a scary way, just in like a, in like a, oh, okay, like not to be scared way. Since hives could be found in cracks in caves or rock walls, and said cracks were also considered to be like entrances from the human world to the underworld, there was a clear link between like little fuzzy bee friends because they're living in that crack. So it's like, well, obviously you can either go to the underworld or pop back over to the human world. So depending on which philosopher you ask, because like most Greek philosophers had an opinion on bees, bees were either the reincarnated forms of certain humans. So like if your loved one passed away, there's a good chance they could come back as a bee and bring you messages. Or they were the souls of people not yet born. So kind of that like potential, you know, when this bee goes, they're going to become a human. So kind of the other way around. Also, some philosophers thought they were nymphs because nymphs were also believed to be reincarnated souls. So it's like, okay, reincarnated souls are going to bounce between being a nymph or being a bee. So sometimes a nymph goes in a bee. It's just how it is. So that's overview of Greek bee lore. And it's generally charming and amazing. <laughs> so... 
Over in ancient Egypt, bees are close with Ra, the sun god, because bees were formed when Ra's tears hit the sand. So when he cried and it hit sand, I mean, if you think about it, you know, think of the shape that tears are. Now imagine that little salty water getting covered in sand. It's going to kind of be the shape of a bee. It makes sense. Pharaohs also used the honeybee as a royal status symbol. So it was a way of being like, yeah, I'm tight with the sun god because I'm royal. Check out all my bees, bitch. Now we're kicking it over from it from ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. We're going over to England, Celtic, Irish, Scotland. It's a big hodgepodge of lore from like the UK, British Isles, Ireland, all of that. I think when we did our big episode on weddings for your big fat Shinto inspired wedding episode, we talked about telling the bees. But in case we didn't, just a real quick overview. In England, if you were a beekeeper or a member of a beekeeping family, you had to run any and all major news past the bees. This was most crucial if the beekeeper died. Once the beekeeper was gone, either the surviving spouse or the oldest son had to tell the bees. So the way you do this is you take your house key and then you go over to the beehive and then you knock on it three times and say, little bee, our lord is dead. Leave not while we are in distress. Then the messenger would share the name of the new beekeeper. If you don't tell the bees, the bees will either, one, abandon the hives because they're like, well, clearly nobody's caring for us, so fuck all y'all. Or they would die because they were mourning the loss of the beekeeper. So you have to tell them, it's going to be okay, buddy. Somebody else is here to take care of you. The idea was, you know, bees are very in tune with what people are feeling and thinking. So if the person who used to take care of them is gone, they're going to be sad. And if you don't reassure them, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you now. They're going to be so sad, they'll either die or they'll move. And then obviously that's bad for a beekeeping household because you need to keep bees. As an added step, some variations of the tradition have you drape a beehive in black fabric to help them as they grieve, or there was, I think it was Welsh tradition, where you take like a blackened piece of wood and you put that in one of the hives just as a way to signify that like these hives are grieving, they have a place to take their mourning, like we acknowledge that the bees are as part as much a part of this family as we are, so they're probably a little sad. Also, in Britain and Ireland, do not swear around your bees. They will leave if you use rude language. The bees do not care for potty mouths. <laughs> it's a bummer for me because, like, I love swearing, so I would want to be able to swear with my bees, but out of respect, I think in Britain and Ireland, I couldn't. If you were marrying a beekeeper, you had to go to the hive, tell them the good news, and then leave them a piece of your wedding cake to kind of, like, get you welcomed into the family. You also had to tell the bees when children were born just to be like, hey, look, it's your new brother or whatever. Central Europe also has a bee tradition for weddings. In this custom, bees are a very good judge of character. So I kind of respect this. So brides-to-be walked their intended past a beehive and waited to see what would happen. If the betrothed gets stung, it's a sign that they're not going to be a faithful spouse. So it's like, all right, you know, like when you and Jack got engaged, if you had been a beekeeper, you would have walked him past the hives. And if a bee stung him, it meant that he was going to cheat on you. So you should call off the engagement because the bees were like, girl, he's no good for you. Cut him loose. Staying in the same region, but kind of going more ancient times, Celtic lore was huge on the honeybee. In ancient times, this meant that bees were viewed as a connection between the spirit realm and the human world. In ancient times, this meant that bees were viewed as a connection between the spirit realm and the human world, kind of like what we saw in Greece. But this meant specifically you could pass messages to your departed loved ones via bees who could freely travel between the two realms. So, you know, 
you're caring for some bees and you're like, hey, bees, can you send a message to my grandma? I just want to let her know we're taking care of her tea set. And then the bee would go and deliver the message and then like come back. So they were like, well, little messenger buddies. Bees were also the messengers of the gods and in Western parts of Scotland embodied the ancient wisdom of the Druids. So like bees can have it all. Likely because of their wisdom and their association with the gods, if a bee is flying around your house or at your window, you should absolutely not kill it. That's real bad. If you do kill it, it means you will soon have a visitor bringing bad news. If you don't kill the bee, it means that you're just going to have like a happy visit from a happy visitor. So it's just like a way of the being being like, company's coming. So if you kill it, company's going to come and be like, all your cows are dead. But like, if you're nice to the bee, the visitor's going to be like, hey guys, I brought cake. If one bee lands on your hand, it means that you'll soon come into money. So pretty legit. In the Highlands of Scotland, there used to be a belief that when you were asleep or in any kind of meditative state or trance, your soul would leave your body and take the form of a bee. So that's another reason why you should be nice to bees, because you don't know who's in there. Celtic bee lore was so dominant that when Christianity moved in, as a lot of Christian tradition did, it took these bee tales and folded it into Christian tradition. Thus... Bees were supposed to hum loudly at midnight on Christmas Day in honor of the birth of Jesus. And in Cornwall, you were only supposed to move your bees on Good Friday or something bad would happen. So if you wanted to move your hive, you had to wait until Good Friday. Otherwise, bad news bears. Bad news bees, really. Instead of going to the realm of the dead, bees came directly from heaven in this like kind of hybrid Christian Celtic lore. So little heavenly bees. In other sets of Irish and British folklore, you must never buy bees with paper money. This will offend them. Do not buy your bees with paper money. You should either barter over them and ultimately pay with gold coins, so as not to offend them, or you should receive them as a gift so no money changes hands, and then you repay the person who gave you the bees with honey and comb that the hive produces. I could be like, do you want my bees? And you could be like, totally. Or you could go to someone and be like, I would like to buy your bees. And they'll go, okay, how about five gold pieces? And you'll go, no, seven. And they'll go, okay, we'll compromise and we'll say six. And then you give them six gold pieces. That's fine. But if you're like, here's 20 bucks, can I have some bees? The bees are going to be like, first of all, fork you. Second of all, how dare you? Irish and British folklore also have some ill omens surrounding bees. But this is mostly like bees warning you of bad stuff to come, not bees like bringing bad shit. So if you see a bee swarm settle on a dead branch, it means either you who is witnessing it or someone in the beekeeper's family is going to die. So it's bees giving you a heads up. If the swarm enters a house in Wales, there will be a death soon. Irish goddess Brigid holds bees to be sacred and the hives that she keeps bring magical nectar from an apple orchard in the other world. Fun fact, rivers in the other world are made of mead. I put in my notes because I was writing this when I was a little tired yesterday. Some Willy Wonka shit. <laughs> Certain folklore folds bees in with witchcraft as well. One Scottish witch allegedly poisoned a child while in the form of a bee, which to me sounds like this kid was maybe just allergic to bee stings and got stung by a bee. But what do I know? I'm not a superstitious Scottish peasant. Like... But it just sounds like, you know, they needed an excuse for like, oh my god, our kid went into anaphylactic shock, but we don't have the words anaphylactic shock. Clearly a witch did it. In the Balkans in particular, new beekeepers must start their endeavor with three hives. One that they found that contains a wild swarm, one that was received as a gift, and one that was stolen. This will ensure a successful honey harvest. And like, if you think about this from a practical standpoint, 
Yes, having three hives means that even if two of them fail, you still have the third one. So like, practically, probably one of them is going to succeed. Beehives were also believed to ward off lightning, as a tree with a beehive in it would never be struck, allegedly. Don't test that. Slavic folklore also states that bees are the only beings that the devil can't corrupt, and thus they are the purest souls on earth. The reason for this is because God himself allegedly sent bees to mankind to bring abundance and wellness. So because of this, the devil can't hide in a beehive. Like, he can hide pretty much everywhere else, but beehives, safe from him. He can't get in there. Given that bees are super pure, they also have the innate ability to suss out people who have committed some sort of sin. So in Slavic folklore, if you're stung by a bee, it means you have recently committed some act of wrongdoing. You would also celebrate Christmas by cutting a piece of your Yule log and setting it next to beehives to ensure prosperity and fertility. So again, we're bringing bees into our customs. You bake another splinter of your Yule log into the traditional Slavic Christmas cake. Then you smear a part of the dough of that cake on your beehives to ensure their health. Finally, there was a belief in Slavic folklore that when all bees die, the world will end because God created bees to live until the end of the world. Take care of bees. That's the biggest message of bee folklore. Bees are our friends. All right, next I will be talking about dragonflies. Yay! The dragonfly is one of the oldest of the insect species. They represent both air and water, since their larvae often hatch out of water while they live amongst the water. In many tales, they symbolize wisdom, communication with the elements, adaptation, insight, and transformations. Depending on where you are, it can also be a sign of something good or an evil omen. The dragonfly in almost every part of the world symbolizes change and change in the perspective of self-realization. This is the kind of change that has its source in mental and emotional maturity and the understanding of the deeper meaning of life. The traditional association of dragonflies with water also gives rise to this meaning to this amazing insect. The dragonfly's scurrying flight across water represents an act of going beyond what's on the surface and instead looking deeper into the implications and aspects of life. So in Irish myth, there is lore that says that the, quote, little people, or maybe fairies, ride dragonflies as a horse to travel in the blink of an eye. Some stories also imply that the dragonfly is also another fairy in disguise that can only be seen from the right angle. Interestingly, when dragonfly larvae hatch, they're called nymphs. Oh, The Celts connect the dragonfly with the ability to see truth. With the sight of the ancient, powerful dragons who are the guardians of sacred stones and magic wells. So... Thinking of them as, like, literal descendants of dragons. Furthermore, dragonfly is thought to be a lucky spirit that has the power to restore health. Seeing a dragonfly or dreaming of dragonfly may signal that a change is coming, perhaps a rebirth of sorts. Dragonflies can also warn you that what you see now in a person or situation is only hovering on the surface, and you should look more deeply to find authenticity. In Japan, a dragonfly symbolizes the summer and fall, and can be still seen as a common motif in kimono, art, and decor. The samurai considered it a symbol of agility, power, and victory. Can I share a real quick fun fact about samurai and dragonfly? Because we went to, when we were in, I think it was when we were in Shinjuku last year. Remember when we could travel places? So we went to the samurai museum, and they were talking about the relationship between dragonflies and samurai and it's it was because of a pun and i think it's because the word for dragonfly sounded like the word for victory so they were like got it dragonflies and victory let's go (laughs) i just don't remember what either word was 
Because I remember him saying that because I remember being like, I love how much of samurai culture is pun-based. Like, they also liked navy blue because it sounded like kachimas to win. <laughs> it's because another old name for dragonfly is katsumushi, which means winning bug or victory insect. So they were like, got it, dragonflies, victory, let's do this. <laughs> Clearly in a past life, I was a samurai because I fucking love puns. <laughs> Let's do this pun-based victory. And they're like, we need a battle strategy. I'm like, no, we have puns. In China, it's a spiritual totem, meaning harmony, po- prosperity, and f- frequently is seen it as a good luck charm. Among many Native American tribes, it's the sign of speed, purity, and happiness, and also a symbol for activity. For the Navajo, dragonflies symbolize pure water. So if you see a dragonfly, it means that the water source is clean. In Sweden, traditional folklore states that dragonflies fly around the neck to measure the value of our souls. I don't necessarily know if I want a bug judging me, but I mean, that would be really fascinating if true. I know. I I don't want to be judged by the size of my neck because I feel like that's going to give me insecurities I don't need, but I do like it in theory. (laughs) In Vietnam, dragonflies predict the weather, especially rain. If you see a dragonfly flying low, it's going to be rainy. If it flies high, it will be sunny. And if they're flying at sort of a medium Hmm. level, then it's going to be overcast. Dragonflies, or other name damselflies, were also connected to Freya, the Norse goddess of love, fertility, and warfare. And... We're going to check off his gun, Freya, for a second, because she is important to Ladybugs as well. Sorry, you saying Freya just reminded me, there's a throwaway reference in Ladybugs that Ladybugs used to be associated with Freya as well. So I think she just had a bunch of lucky bugs hanging out with her. And growing up, I thought it was a commonly held belief that when you see a dragonfly, it has the spirit of a loved one long past. But I found out that that was actually just one of my friends. When we were little, her father passed away. And she said that every time she saw dragonflies, she felt like her father was near or like her father was watching over her. And so I thought that was just like a thing about dragonflies. Like you see a dragonfly and it's someone who's like from the beyond coming to check in on you, someone that you love. But as it turns out, it actually was just specific to my friend. But I thought that was like a really nice way to think of someone you you care about um, and remember them when you see such a beautiful, beautiful insect. That's nice. I like that. I love it. Speaking of Freya, are you ready to talk about ladybugs? So ladybugs, which are sometimes called ladybirds, depending on who you ask, it's basically like in America and places that use more Americanized English, you'll hear ladybug. But in like the UK, you're more likely to hear ladybird. But they're prevalent over much of the world. So they obviously get a bunch of folklore associated with them, especially because they have such a bold appearance. And at this point in my notes, it was like 10 o'clock. So I put, we stand a polka dotted queen. (laughs) Also in most parts of the world, they're just generally considered really good luck. So like if you learn nothing else about ladybugs, they're great luck. So if you see a ladybug, don't worry about it. Things are going to turn around. So let's kick things off with the basics. Ladybugs, got their name for folklore reason. It's not because they're all girls. In the Middle Ages in Europe, plagues of locusts and other crop-destroying bugs were ruling the land. The farmers prayed to the Virgin Mary to send some help, and shortly after sending up those prayers, 
ladybugs showed up. And as we all know about ladybugs, they eat a lot of the bad bugs that damage crops because they like, they go to town on aphids and stuff. So the farmers were like, clearly these were sent by the Virgin Mary. They called these little bugs the Beetles of Our Lady, which was eventually shortened to Lady Beetles, which then got further shortened to Ladybug or Ladybird. And so, like, this is where earlier than the Middle Ages in, like, Norse mythology, it was Freya and not the Virgin Mary who sent down the ladybugs to protect her crops. So, and I think there was one lore, I couldn't find a corroborating source, but there was a throwaway reference in, like, a WordPress page that was, like, Freya sent ladybugs down in a bolt of lightning. And I'm like, well, that's fucking badass. But I couldn't, I couldn't verify that. But let's just believe it, because that's cool. (laughs) Let's rapid fire ladybug lore, because a lot of ladybug lore, there isn't a reason for it. It's not like, well, this person had a ladybug land on their hand and then this happened. So clearly the ladybug foretold it. It's just like, yeah, sure, ladybugs can mean that. Who cares? First things first, if you hold a ladybug in your hand while making a wish, your wish will come true. And in the U.S. and Canada, when the ladybug flies off, that's going to be the direction your luck comes from. So not only is your wish going to come true, but like if it flies off over here, your luck's going to come from that direction. In English folklore, if a ladybug lands on your hand, it means you'll be married within the year. While it's there on your hand in England, be sure to count its spots to find out how many happy months you will have, how many kids you will have, and how much money you're about to make. Basically, in England, ladybugs are a substitute for the game MASH. It's like, okay, so according to the ladybug, you're going to live in a mansion, and you're going to have four kids, and you're going to make a million (laughs) dollars. Okay, so I did see part of why we have the positive association with ladybugs, and this wasn't like, this wasn't folklore, it's just ladybugs are one of the few insects that essentially hibernates in the winter. Like, instead of just, like, dying off and coming back, they kind of just go into seclusion. So probably they were like, what happens a lot in the winter? People get sick because we're all sharing germs and it's gross. If you're sick and a ladybug lands on you, when it flies away, it takes the illness with it. Are you sick and tired of your clothes? Do you want a wardrobe refresh? Get a ladybug to land on your existing clothes, and it's a sign that those clothes will soon be replaced. It's like, honey, I know you're on the fence about this, but you're better than this. Put it in the donate bag. Let's get you something nice. In Italy, if a ladybug flies into your bedroom, it will bring good luck with it. In China, it just needs to fly into your house to bring the luck. So your dorm, everybody who lived in the dorm, hashtag blessed with good luck because the ladybugs flew in. So just a shit ton of luck concentrated on you. Also in Italy, if a ladybug lands on a baby's cradle, that baby will be blessed with good luck for its whole life. In Austria and France, good weather can be predicted based on the amount of ladybugs out and about. Whereas in Germany, if you find a ladybug with fewer than seven spots, it means you're going to have a good harvest. In Switzerland, in lieu of a stork, babies are brought by ladybugs, which like, they're so powerful. Like they're so tiny and they're like, here's your baby, plop. In Japan, ladybugs are believed to be associated with God, giving them their name Tento Mushi, because Tento often refers to heavenly God and the supreme deity. So they're heaven bugs. That's so cute. Tento Mushi can also sometimes understand human language because God blessed them with this magical ability to listen and comprehend. So if you talk to a ladybug in Japan, there's a good chance it understands you. Ladybugs are also generally associated with good health and protection around the world, which is part of how their association with children's clothing came to be. Because think about it. You see a lot of ladybugs on stuff intended for babies and little kids, and it's because the ladybug takes illness away when it flies away from you, and it brings good luck and health, so who better to give that to than your kid? 
The downside of this nice health thing is the 1800s, which, as we all know, the 1800s were generally the downside of basically everything. Doctors believe ladybugs could cure measles, but only if you mashed them and stuffed them into a body cavity. So that's the bummer one. Are you ready for a rom-com? Like, genuinely, I'm gonna write this fucking rom-com. In Norway, if a man and woman look at the same ladybug at the same time, they're gonna fall in love and have a romance between them. <gasps> Their eyes meet when they're staring at the same ladybug. That's so cute. I just can't. And now are you ready for a story about the magic of ladybugs? <laughs> Once upon a time during the reign of King Robert II in France, a prisoner was sentenced to death. Ah! The prisoner swore up and down that he was innocent, but unfortunately no one believed him. Mm. And then the day of his execution came. The condemned man set his head on the choppy boy, which is the guillotine. Clearly yeah. I was feeling spicy at this point of the night because I called it the choppy boy. Choppy boy. <laughs> but before the executioner could lift his axe, a ladybug flew up and landed on the man's neck. Ooh. And it kept coming back. Every time the executioner shoot it away, the ladybug would fly back, and it interrupted the process and distracted the man wielding the axe. This happened so many times that eventually news traveled to King Robert II, who was also known as Robert the Pious and Robert the Wise. He believed that the ladybug was divine intervention swooping in to spare the man's life, so he stopped the execution. Shortly thereafter... Wow. The condemned man was found to be innocent and was released. <gasps> wow. Ladybugs are your friends. That's amazing. Praise be to bugs. Praise the lady be to variety. bugs. The ladybugs. Yay. All right. So finally, praying mantises. Praying mantises are found on every continent except Antarctica. So they have oh, a very wow. large reach globally. I did and not know that. Yeah, and of the 1,800 or so known species, most are about one to three inches in length. They're not very large, but some of the tropical species can grow eight inches or more. Are the tropical ones the ones that look like orchids? I love the orchid-shaped praying mantises. Those are so fucking cool. All right. So, yeah, so the these tropical ones, yeah, they can get very large. And so sometimes if you're in a tropical area, you can run into a very large praying mantis boy and it's... I, I would be scared, I think. <laughs> so praying mantises have triangular heads and long, flexible necks that bend easily, which allow them to turn their head 180 degrees from side to side, and they have a 300-degree field of vision. So there's only 60 degrees that they can't see. Amazing. Whereas I can only see, like, maybe 60 degrees because I'm old and inflexible. <laughs> well, and so they can also spot the slightest movement from up to 60 feet away. So Holy they're very shit. perceptive. And the strange praying stance of the praying mantis is not an act of reverence, but actually the position that they take as fierce predators while they're waiting to patiently ambush, basically patiently waiting to ambush other insects. Their powerful forelegs are armed with rows of overlapping spikes, which are used to snare their prey and pin it to place while they devour it with strong, sharp mandibles. And they use their entire arms like razor blades with reflexes that are so rapid that they are impossible to gauge with the naked eye. Pew pew! With, <laughs> pew pew! With flexible necks and two, two over-dimensioned eyes, praying mantises fixate their distance to their prey rapidly and in 3D. So these are like little killing machines. They're and like they're cats. very perceptive and they're very strong. <laughs> Again, they're like cats. <laughs> so let's talk about 
maybe some of their little like lore bits. Love it. Real quick, there's a season one episode of Buffy where it turns out that the new biology teacher is secretly a giant praying mantis. Yeah, it's terrifying. I wouldn't want to fuck with one of these. They're... (laughs) They would kill me. Yeah. Have a healthy respect for praying mantises. Although, yeah, I do get praying mantises in my yard every once in a while, and they'll, like, crawl up the side of the house along with Katie did. And so mm-hmm. I do have a healthy appreciation for them from a distance. But yeah. I'm also like, you could fuck me up. I don't want you flying on me at all. Don't land on me. Don't come <laughs> near me. I don't want you to poke me. You They're are very like sharp and scary. You're like, land on me. Right. I'm like, if a kitty did land it on me, I wouldn't hate it. But you are a sharp, pointy boy. <laughs> like, please don't <laughs> land on me. You're basically a choppy boy. <laughs> yeah, you're a choppy boy. Please don't land on me. Praying mantises, the guillotines of the insect world. <laughs> <laughs> so the word mantis actually comes from the Greek mentikos, meaning prophet or seer. Because of the way the insects hold up the front of their bodies and position their huge forelegs when at rest, it appears that they are praying for insight. Really, they're praying for their next meal. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) They're praying P-R-E-Y. E-Y-I-N-G. Yeah, P-R-A-Y. Yeah. (laughs) Two martial arts separately developed in China and have the movements and fighting stances based on those of the praying mantis. Damn. As one of these... Arts was developed in northern China and the other in southern parts of the country. They are still today referred to as northern praying mantis and southern praying mantis. Mm. And then the spiritual meaning of a praying mantis represents trust, introspection, new perspectives, intuitive abilities, and spiritual connection. It's often a sign that the energies from the other dimensions are sending you a message to trust your own inner guidance and then to be patient to wait for the flow of the universe to sort everything out. If a praying mantis shows up in your life, it represents the need to step away from distractions of everyday life and take some time to look inward to connect with the intuitive insight deep within your soul. It's like Basically a self-esteem a bug. Yeah, it's like a sign, a sign to take time to meditate and look within. You want to be like the praying mantis and be very poised and still as you like kind of do some introspection. It's like, hey, buddy, you got this. Yeah. Just take a moment and appreciate that you have this and listen to yourself. Yeah. That's and nice. Much like dragonflies, seeing them can be considered to be good luck or bad, depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. Because of the praying hands, some Christians say that the praying mantis represents spiritualism or piety. And if it's found in your home, it means that angels are watching over you. Some Muslims say that the praying mantis is always facing towards Mecca. Mm. In Italy, some believe that if a praying mantis looks at you menacingly, it can make you sick. In Japan, it may be a foretelling of your death. <laughs> I mean, what isn't a foretelling I mean, of our deaths? what isn't though? a foretelling of our deaths? <laughs> the French used to think that a praying mantis would point a lost child home. So whichever way the praying mantis was facing, the praying mantis is trying to be like, hey, kid, go like, that way. That way. <laughs> that way. You got this. That way. Go, go. over that way. Go. With its like tiny little hands. Yeah, it's like, come on, shooting. buddy. Look yeah. where I'm pointing. Look where I'm pointing. No, don't look over <laughs> that. Look where I'm pointing. No. <laughs> In some parts of West Africa, it's considered good luck if one of these creatures lands on you. And in both ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, the spiritual role of the praying mantis was to serve as a guide for those who were lost. In ancient Greece, it was said that the praying mantis helped lost travelers get back to safety. And in ancient Egypt, the, quote, bird fly god assisted those who died to help travel to the underworld. Oh, yeah, and that's it for praying mantises. I love so it. So they are kind of terrifying, but they're also kind of good. Yeah, good guys. they're your buddies. They're just trying, they're doing their best. Yeah, 
So what bugs would you do you wish we had talked about today? Do you have thoughts? Have you ever had like a pleasant experience with any of these bugs? I'm sure you have. Email spoopower yeah. at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at spoopower and tell us all about it. I think we should talk about butterflies and moths at some point. We should. And when we do, yeah. I need to talk about the game Elroy Goes Bugzerk because I loved that game when I was little. And it involves yeah. like a beetle that's also like a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a good time. So it's a good time. What bugs do you want us to talk about in the future? What did we miss about the bugs we went over today? Like, is there something Mm -hmm. you know about spiders that we should have mentioned and we didn't? We're sorry. Tell us about it. We'd love (laughs) to do better. And we'll apologize to the praying mantises because they'll cross us and be angry. Yes. Don't want to make them mad. So don't want to make them mad. Thanks for listening. We love it. We love you. Have a great week. Be safe. Be healthy. Take care of bees. Bees are your friend. Bees are your friend. Sasha's a god. You heard it here first.